Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au. Well, great to be back with you. Uh, thanks, Tom, so much for reading out of Galatians for us. Uh, we love to open up God's Word and to hear Him speak to us. And that's the next part of the service that we come to now, uh, as we come to the preaching of God's Word, or we call this a Bible talk, where we open up the Bible and we share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves us, redeems us, and transforms us as well. Last week we sort of broke off and went to Psalm 27. This week we're getting back to the book of Colossians, where we are working through the book of Colossians. Uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, this great letter that Paul wrote to the, to the uh, town of Colossae and the church in Colossae uh, a little over, a little under 2,000 years ago. Uh, to set up the scene for us today of where we are going, uh, can I ask this? What are we doing as we're trying to cope with this COVID-19 virus now? What, what's the community trying to do? We're trying to eradicate it, aren't we? That's what the government's putting all their efforts to, is to try and kill off this virus. It's a virus that's causing sickness and death. It's a virus that's silently going around infecting people. It's not making any sort of doorbell call, so I'm coming into your house to infect you today. It's silently going around and infecting people. And thankfully, the last few weeks, uh, the numbers have been coming down quickly. But what are we trying to do? We're trying to get rid of this virus. Every trace of it is what the community is working towards in trying to get rid of this virus. To not leave any trace of this virus behind whatsoever, which will only allow it to cause more trouble if we do that. Well, today, Paul wants us to attack sin and to put it to death as the deadliest virus known to mankind. The deadliest virus we could ever have the virus of sin. Paul wants us to attack it today and to put it to death here in the book of Colossians. So if you've got your Bibles there, please go with me to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read from verses 1 through to 11. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no, not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all... And in all. Lord, thank you. Thank you this morning that we can gather together. Thank you, Lord, we can come online and we can uh, connect in today with Colossians. And I ask today, Holy Spirit, please open up our hearts here as we look here, uh, as we are called, as it were, uh, to attack sin in our lives. 
to root out this deadly virus called sin in our lives and to declare war on sin in our lives, to put it to death. Please help us today, Holy Spirit, as we work through this challenging passage here. Really, I pray, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and let good things happen in our hearts today as we are liberated from the chains and the bonds of sin. Lord, I ask and pray that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we reach a stage here in the book of Colossians where Paul makes this decisive shift uh, from the knowledge about the gospel, which he's done for the first sort of turn of chapters, and now he works to the practical implications of the gospel. It's the knowledge of the gospel, now it's the practical implications of the gospel. It's what we call theology here with Paul first, and now there's how does this look? How does the gospel work in our lives? How should we now live? We've heard heard all about the gospel. Now, how does it look? Uh, There's three things here that Paul is telling us that we must do as followers of Jesus here in these first 11 verses. But when I use those words, we must do, as Paul is going to ask us to do, I don't want us to have any confusion here about this, because sometimes this we must do things can get confusing in our minds. Paul isn't telling us to do anything, as it were, to earn our salvation. Paul isn't telling us that we must do something, as it were, to gain God's attention so that he would look favorably upon us to receive the forgiveness of our sins. Paul's not telling us to do anything for that particular purpose, not at all. That's easily confused at times. Because we think we've got to sometimes do something to earn something. That's not where Paul's coming from when he says this. Paul's foundation here for these implications, these three things he's going to talk about today, is summed up in the very first line of verse 1. It says there, If then you've been raised with Christ. Raised with Christ. In other words, because you've been raised with Christ, that is that the Holy Spirit has come to you, opened up your eyes and revealed the gospel to you and you now believe it, because of this has happened, now live like this. Because of the gospel, now live like this. You could say it another way like this. Gospel living always springs from a heart renewed in the grace of the gospel first. Gospel living always springs from a heart renewed in the grace of the gospel first. It's gospel renewing our heart first, and then it's gospel living from there. Now, as Paul moves uh, towards how life and the gospel looks, he starts particularly in this passage with a negative aspect. It's a negative aspect. Even though it's negative, it's good news for us, okay? Even though it's negative, it's good news for us. Uh, The big idea that we're going to look at today is this. Having been raised to new life in Christ, let us therefore put to death... The old way of living with its corruption and destruction. Now, just a word of warning and caution here before we're going. There's probably going to be a bumpy ride today through some of the stuff we're going to be talking about here. So I'd ask you, fasten your seatbelts on right now because we're going to dig into sinful living and that's always going to be uncomfortable. Okay, let's jump into it. Set our heart on things above. Before Paul gets to the negative, he actually is going to give a couple of quick things here that are quite positive and quite right for us. The first of the three things that Paul tells us that we must do is set our hearts on things above. Look in verse 1 there. Uh, He says this, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above. 
Paul's saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, seek the things that are above or set your heart, incline your heart on things above. By above, we mean godly things. Set your heart's desires on heavenly things and on godly things. Set your heart's desires on gospel-shaped things, gospel-transformed things. Let Jesus shape your heart's desires. Set your heart on things above. Set your heart on God. Make every attempt to direct your heart towards the things that God delights in. So first implication here of Paul, springboarding off the gospel, a changed heart, with Paul and the Colossians, is to set our heart on God. Direct our heart towards God. Second thing Paul tells us here to do is to set our mind on things above. Look in verse 2 with me, we'll see that. Right there, first few words. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Paul is saying, let's get our thinking right. Let's get our thinking right. Have a determined position to direct my mind on godly things and not earthly things. You might be thinking, what's he mean by earthly things? Is that don't be a person who likes to dig around in the soil? Paul's not saying that. Earthly things means don't set your mind on the brokenness and the corruption of this world's system and ways and attitudes. The way the world thinks is directly opposite to the way God thinks. Paul says, don't set your minds on earthly things. Let's feed our minds instead on the gospel, on Christ. Let's feed our minds with the truth of God. Just what we're doing today as we open up the scriptures. Let's saturate our minds with the wisdom of God. Let's see our minds renewed by the truth of the gospel. That's what Paul's saying there. So here's the second implication here that Paul's uh, setting us towards. Set your minds on the things above. Now, we're going to spend more time in this in a couple of weeks' time when we get to the second half of this passage, which really begins to open that up. But here, here's a good foundation for where Paul's about to go to in this negative aspect. For Paul, this setting, setting your heart and setting your mind on the things above is a natural flow from gospel conversion. If the Spirit has given you a new heart at conversion, then the natural outflow from that heart is to live in a new way. Look at how Paul says it for us here in verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We set our heart on new things, we set our mind on new things, because we have died to old things, as Paul says there, for you have died. Why are we setting our heart on new things? Because we've died to the old way. Now this is the time to fasten your seatbelt. Paul now keys off into here to our third implication. And what it is, it is to kill off our sinful self. Have a look what Paul says here in verse 5. He doesn't muck around here. Uh, chapter 3 verse 5 says this, Put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Let's trace out Paul's thinking here as he says this. Because you died to your old life in Christ and you've been raised to new life in Christ, because this has happened, 
then put to death the remaining sinfulness inside you. Here's what that means. As Paul says that when you become a Christian, when you become a follower of Jesus and you commit your life to him to say, I know now no longer live for the world or myself. I now live for Jesus. We are given a new heart by the Holy Spirit. We're given a new control center. That is a new heart that has new desires now to please God, to worship God, to love him with a new life. But what remains within us, even when this new heart has been given to us, are indwelling sinful desires, even after our conversion, even after a new heart. I'm saved and I'm forgiven, but I've still got these desires that I know aren't right lingering around inside of me. Now, Paul's acutely aware of this with the Colossians and he's acutely aware of this for all of us. He knows what life is like when we are believers. So Paul now says, calls us, as it were, to go to war with our sinful or earthly self, with this remaining indwelling corruption that still stays within us. And look at what Paul does. He doesn't mince any words here when he says this, does he? He doesn't take a soft stance towards sin. Paul knows only too well how deadly sin is. It kills us. Sin is the very thing that kills our souls. It kills us in living out our human beings, our humanity, exactly how God has called us to live it. Sin kills that. Jesus says something similar in Matthew 5, 29. He says this, that if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Tear it out and throw it away. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, knows exactly how deadly sin is. Now, he isn't saying here, literally, tear out your eyes and throw it away. Because if that was the case, every single believer who would be here at church today would have all their eyes torn out and thrown away. He's not saying that. But what he's saying is this, take drastic actions when it comes to sin. Don't let sin find a dark corner in your heart and safely hide there. Don't let sin harbor in your heart. Take drastic actions towards sin. Put it to death. Put it to death. Kill sin. Render it lifeless. Starve it of opportunities to burst out. Cut off the supply of sin that is feeding our sinful desires. Stop the supply. Make war against sin. See sin as our biggest enemy. Don't take sin lightly. That's the language that Paul's using here. Put it to death. What are we told to put to death here? What are we told to kill? First one there is sexual immorality. We are told to kill all sexual immorality outside of marriage. As a follower of Jesus living in holiness, glorifying God, any sexual activity outside of marriage is forbidden. It's a no-go zone. God's created a place called marriage for sexual intimacy to take place. Any sexual activity outside of marriage, sexual immorality, fornication, adultery, sex with somebody else who's not your wife, is forbidden. It's a no-go zone. Next, we're told to kill impurity. Impurity. That is, we are to kill off any immoral behavior that comes from impure desires. Any suggestive uh, 
any suggestive ways of living by way of flirting with words or actions, by stepping over the boundaries of normal friendliness and stepping into immoral behaviour by these flirting words or flirting actions, impure thoughts or impure actions or impure words, it's a no-go zone. Paul says, put that to death. What's he say next? We are to kill off our passions or lusts. That is, we strike a deathly blow to lustful thoughts that indulge in sexual fantasy. Paul says we need to put that to death. These are impure thoughts. These are impure lusts. These are lusts that that gratify themselves into sexual fantasies. Paul says we have to kill those things. What's the next thing he says there? We are to kill off evil desires. That is, we strike down evil thoughts or evil desires that perhaps lead us to lustful desires. Let me just put a clarifying statement here to help us think through this. Because you might be thinking, but, but what about that first thought that comes to me? You know, you, you walk around the corner of a street and all of a sudden you see this, maybe a girl who's just dressed very scantily. Or you see a guy who's sort of dressed scantily perhaps as well if you're a lady. What do you do? Well, you can't stop the first thought. You can't stop the, that image that just gets presented to you. It's totally catch you off guard. That's not wrong. That's part of the world we live in. You can't stop that first thought. But we need to actually stop it after the first thought. We can't let that first thought then begin to breed into something else and let that grow. What we've got to do, if we see something sexually provocative, whether it's somebody walking up this down the street with very little clothes or, or an image in a shop window or whatever, we've actually got to starve that desire from going any further. As it were, don't give it any oxygen to breathe. Kill that thought. Stop that thought immediately. Covetousness is the next thing that Paul tells us here. We are to kill off covetousness. That is, we kill off the desires of wanting something else that isn't ours. Wanting something else that isn't ours. We don't go and look at somebody else's husband or somebody else's wife and wish that they were my wife or my husband. We don't play with the thought of wishing in our minds, wishing that I was married to someone else, that other person over there, and not the person that I'm married to now. Paul says don't covet that. Don't desire something else that doesn't belong to you. That's a broken thought. Now, you might think, gee, Paul, you're covering some deep territory, and he really is. He's covering a significant element of our current culture here in this sexual realm. We live in a very sexualized world. You can't drive anywhere without looking at some sort of advertising that is sexually provocative in some way. And see, what the world says here about this is this. It's okay to have sex outside of marriage. It's okay to have impure thoughts and it's okay to enjoy lustful fantasies. The world said that's okay because that's what they're promoting right throughout the world where we live. All they say is just don't get caught doing it and make sure you don't hurt anybody in the process. That's how the world deals with that. But that's not gospel living. That's not what Jesus has redeemed us from. That's not what the Holy Spirit is telling Paul here as he writes this to do. It's to kill these things. Paul, though, goes on to another range of things also to put to death in our lives. Paul calls us to deal with anger, anger arising and erupting out from our hearts. Look in verse 8 as he says that. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, 
slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Paul is asking us to put to death the evil intent that comes out of our mouths. Remove it, says Paul. Put it away. Starve those words for air. Angry outbursts. Enraged speaking. Malice or evil intent. Slander or intentionally insulting somebody. Or downright disgusting speech, obscene speech shouldn't be heard from the mouth of a gospel-believing follower of Jesus Christ. There's something wrong if that speech is coming out of our mouths if we're saying we're a believer in Christ. There's something gone astray there. How can we say we have a heart of love that the God has given to us when we pour out the poison, as it were, of disrespect and the belittling of other people through our mouths? How can we possibly say that's coming from a heart of love? Saying things to chop people down and make them feel feel afraid or worthless. Making comments that are often disguised in humour when all we're doing is belittling somebody else just to make ourselves seem bigger than them. We sort of cloak it in humour sometimes. Oh, I I don't know how you could think like that. Sometimes we do that and we try and disguise it in humour, but really it's belittling talk. It's not good talk. It's disrespectful. It's slander. I could say, where is the gospel in that if that's how we talk to people? How was God glorified in that if that's how we talk to people? Look in verse 9 for more things here that Paul tells us we need to kill with our mouth. Verse 9 says this, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. Paul says, stop lying. Stop lying. Stop telling lies. Kill those intentional, deceptive thoughts. What happens when you, when you get caught? Caught out doing something. You feel trapped, don't you? You feel sort of backed into a corner. Very often, we resort to lies to get ourselves out of trouble. We just tell one lie, which breeds to another lie, which leads to another lie, which leads to another lie, which leads to another lie. And before we know it, we've told this whole web of lies to try and get ourselves out of trouble. Paul says, stop lying. How can we, who've been enlightened to the truth and seen the God of truth, how can we then turn around and allow these lies, as it were, to just roll out of our mouth so easily? Paul says we need to stop lying. Do not lie to one another. Make war on these things, Paul says. Engage in battle here with our sinful flesh. Don't take any prisoners when it comes to these evil, sinful desires. We have full license to kill these evil desires. And these things must be attacked at the root, which is the heart. It's not a matter of just trying to correct a few words here and there or trying to correct some thoughts. We've actually got to get at the control center and work on our heart. It's a bit like termites. It's a bit like termites. You can't actually see what termites are doing until one day maybe a door falls off or, or something like that happens. Pretty drastic. But it's no good just replacing the door, is it, when you've got termites in the house. You can't just go and screw a door back in place again and think that's all done and finished. No. You've got to go to the nest of the termites and you've got to deal with them there. And what else do you do with termites? You don't just wound termites, do you? You just don't sort of make them sick for a while, then they come back and start eating out all your wood again. You kill termites. 
You see, sin is lurking in our hearts just like termites, hidden, unseen, but doing all sorts of damage, and all of a sudden it begins to erupt out and become visible. Here's a few things here about this battle with sin, with this warfare with sin. Don't be surprised by the intensity of the battle in dealing with sin. Don't be surprised by that. Satan hates to give up ground in somebody's life. If he's still got some bastions, as it were, or some hiding places in a heart that he's able to just uh, chip away at tempting in these areas, he won't give that up lightly. He will fight tooth and nail to grind us into the ground in this battle with sin. And don't be surprised also when you keep doing battle in your life over the same evil desires. Don't be surprised to think I'm battling this same thing regularly. Such is the nature of our sinful self. And the way that God has ordained that we'll have these battles staying within us within various degrees and sometimes often for the remainder of our lives as well. This is the nature of how it is. Sometimes we can have long seasons of quiet and victory where these sins aren't doing much in the way of tempting us. We can have long seasons of victory and quiet. Other times, though, we can have intense seasons of battle with sin where it feels like it's overpowering us, where it feels like it's crushing us, where it feels like we are so weak. The battle can be like that sometimes with sin, and often it can feel like it's very depleting in our lives. But that's the warfare that we're called to. That's the battle that we're called to. Paul now begins to finish this here on a very positive note, again in verse 11 for us. He says this, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. What Paul is saying here is this. God isn't partial. God doesn't play favourites here. God graciously gives us all the same grace that it is required and matched for every occasion. God is not partial. Look at what it says there. Christ is for all of us, not just some. And Christ is in all of us for those who put their trust in Christ. That same Christ is there for all of us. Jesus is the power that we need to put to death these earthly, broken, sinful desires of our sinful self. It's not just for some, it's for all of us. That's good news. Here's some other helps that God gives to us as well. You see, God has given us many good things to help us in this battle. He's fully aware of the battles that we're going through. And he doesn't call us to this warfare, as it were, to put these things to death and then leave us with no weapons, as it were, to fight sin with. Here's one of the things that God's given to us. God has given us a community of believers to help engage this battle. God calls believers together to be encouraged for this battle. It is a foolish thing. It is a foolish thing to say that you're going to engage in this battle alone. I'll go so far as to say that if you do that, you think, I can do all this on my own. I don't need the church. I don't need community. If you do that, you're setting yourself up for a fall. Now, yes, I believe there's an extent where we do do this battle alone because we have these inner thoughts that we are battling with and that's us. We are in that battle alone. But you also can help enlist others with that battle as well. You don't have to do that completely alone. Who's Paul writing this letter to? The church, a community, people 
all, they all stand together in this battle for each other. Look what Paul does here in Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. He says here, he's asking for others to pray for him. What's Paul doing? He's calling for the help of the community. He's calling for others to help him by praying for him. The community of believers is a weapon, is a weapon that God has given to us to make war on our sin. We can catch up with somebody for prayer. We can share with them the drama and the battle that we're going through. They might not know exactly what it is, but a trusted friend, we can tell them what our struggle is. And they pray with us. And you know what happens when they pray with us? It feels like we're sharing the struggle together. I'm not hiding something alone in my heart. I'm actually feeling right now I've unloaded part of this burden. Someone is with me with this and they're praying for me. They're helping me. They're taking the time to stop and read the Bible with me. And what happens out of that is I feel stronger. I feel strengthened to keep going in this battle. That's what community does together. And as a church, currently at the moment, we're missing out on this gathered fellowship because of COVID-19 and the restrictions that are upon us. We're missing out on this encouragement of the gathered corporate body of a Sunday, getting that element of just strength and unity. We're missing out on that. But things are slowly changing here as the government begins to ease restrictions. So I'm thinking, let's start preparing our hearts for gathered fellowship again and the strength that it brings. We can do it right now in our Connect and Grow groups and some other small groups. Let's begin to commit ourselves to that community again, to receive that strength we can from each other, to keep going in this battle, to put to death these sinful desires. Now, this is a negative aspect of the gospel here. Now, it's, it's exposing things in our lives that are really uncomfortable. It's addressing the sinfulness of our souls, and it's not a joyful thing to do, to bring out, as it were, all this uh, drama of our lives, this brokenness of our this sinfulness, corruption of our lives. It may be negative, but it brings about a harvest of joy and freedom. When we engage in warfare with sin, with our sin, it does a number of things. It does a number of really, really good things. First, it makes Jesus look glorious. Jesus' death on the cross to set us free from sin is glorious and it's powerful. What a glorious king who gives up his life to set us free from the destruction that we've caused ourselves through sin. It makes Jesus look great that he now engages us to battle with sin. Secondly, it makes the gospel look powerful. When a community of people are putting to death their sin, People outside that community, looking in upon that community, can see real power in changed lives, such as in our current racial tensions. The gospel is our answer to racial tensions. All humanity is treated justly and fairly when we see each other equally in the image of God. And when a community of believers show that by bringing all walks of life together, all colors of race together, all people and tribes and tongues and languages together, it's a mighty demonstration of the power of the gospel, that we can all be unified together around Christ, comes in community. Thirdly, putting to death our sin uh, brings freedom to our enslaved souls. It really does. It's a negative thing, but it produces a great fruit of freedom in our lives. Sin binds us up in wretched chains of addiction. People who are addicted to pornography, 
people who are addicted to drugs of dependence, people who are addicted to eating food, people who are addicted for self-approval, people who are always worried about their identity, they become chains, they become binding things upon us and they just fill us with guilt and they just enslave us. But when we work with what God's given to us to put to death these things, the gospel then helps smash these chains as it were, and breaks these chains in our life and begins to set us free. It's a negative aspect, but there's freedom that comes out of that. Now, maybe this is your first time here at this exchange. Maybe this is the first time you've jumped online to, uh, to see us, to hear about Jesus. Well, this is the exact Jesus we want to invite you to meet. The Jesus who actually forgives all of our sins and breaks all the chains of power in sin over our lives as well and gives us this freedom. And if you're in the battle against sin, you're a regular here at Exchange. And you're in this battle. You're in the thick and the heat of this drama. Praise God. Praise God. You are in the right place. Every believer is in this battle. Don't think you're in the wrong place if you're in the battle. The battle is the place where you are. And we would say, let's continue to do this battle together with all the help that Jesus freely gives us. And we do that through community. Don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. Because you can't. God has not designed us to do this alone. He's called us today to battle sin, to put to death these ugly, terrible things, to do it together in community so that God is glorified and that we are set free. And I invite you to do this together with us today at the Community of Exchange Church. Let us pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you today that we can come and we can uh, gather around your word. Father, I thank you today that you love us so much that you don't leave us the way we are. The gospel comes and addresses the rubbish, the baggage, the brokenness, the sinfulness, the destruction, the corruption in our lives. Praise God that, Lord, you come and you help us to destroy this corruption, to kill this corruption, to kill this sin, to put it to death. Lord, I pray today, I know how difficult these battles are. I know, Lord, how challenging this is. I wonder what people would think if there was a tablet, an electronic tablet across my chest exposing all the thoughts of my mind. Horrible, Lord. But praise God, you come and you work with us to put to death these evil things. So, Lord, today for those who perhaps have never met Jesus, I ask and pray now, Holy Spirit, open up their hearts and minds to see Christ, that they would reach out and call out for him right now. For those, Lord, who are battling and in the thick of the battle, battling any form of addiction, Lord, any form of challenge here that is just binding them, I pray, Holy Spirit, please grant them the power today to break free of these chains, to do this in community, to do this by having their mind transformed by your truth, to do this with the power that you give as we call out to you through prayer. Please, Lord, help us to see that freedom and may that glorify you. May that help our community of believers humbly look attractive to the outside world because we have the only hope that will carry anybody through this world. Lord, today, please help us to do that as a community of believers loving and serving you. Lord, thank you for this word in Colossians and thank you for the truth in our hearts today. And uh, Lord, we ask and pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks so much, guys, for joining with us today. Hey, uh, if you have any questions or queries here about today's talk, if you have any questions or queries about Exchange Church, uh, you can contact us on this email there below, info at exchangechurch.org.au. We would love to connect with you and just uh, get to know you a little bit better. So please uh, freely make available that, uh, in, that email and we'd love to get in touch with you. Okay, thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time. Bye. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.